Holiday programming on UPR is made possible by Intermountain Healthcare. It's still important to stay safe from the virus during the holidays. Please continue to practice social distancing and be diligent about hand hygiene. Take back control. Information at intermountain.com slash COVID-19. to the Axis Utah Holiday Special. That beautiful introduction was performed by the Lightwood Duo. Mike Christie Edson on guitar, Eric Nelson on clarinet, and we'll also have uh, readings for the season from playwright Tim Slover, author of the Christmas uh, Chronicles. We welcome you in. Uh, so, gentlemen, Lightwood Duo, Mike Christie Edson, welcome. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks for having us. We uh, we love having you in. Appreciate it. Eric Nelson, thank you. Thank you. Good morning to you. Good good morning. And Tim Slover, thank you. Uh, thank you for, for having me. For Merry joining Christmas. Us. We're looking forward to this. Uh, gentlemen, this is a very unusual year. It's a pandemic year, <laughs> as you're very well aware. Uh, I want to just talk briefly about that at the beginning. Uh, Mike, um, what uh, has that decreased the number of performances? You just have to be more careful. What's happened? Uh, yes and yes. It's... Uh, it has changed things up a bit. I've been able to keep surprisingly busy. It's, uh, it's been an interesting time. I've been doing a lot of uh, virtual stuff. Eric and I have uh, done some virtual con- uh, concerts, virtual performances. I've been able to do some virtual clinics to music educators and guitar players uh, around the country in different states. And uh, been able to do some recording and, and surprisingly... Uh, uh, fair number of live performances too so uh i've been very fortunate to to keep busy but there are uh, a lot of our friends that are out of work right now yeah it really has hit the uh the entertainment uh, and artistry industry uh eric nelson same for you oh, continue pretty much yeah we've we've had a lot of the gigs canceled but we've been able to do a few we play every year at the airport before thanksgiving and and on christmas eve and that's happened again this year thankfully so so it's not been a lot different for me. I've had the time to work on my saxophone technique a little bit more, which I've been wanting to get onto for a while. So that's how it's been going. Uh, I, I was interested in your airport gig. So you did play Thanksgiving, I guess. Uh, this, uh, you know, COVID adds stress, a uh, layer of stress on top of everything. I, I guess even more reason for some music at the airport. Yeah, and it it was interesting to see the new airport in its monstrous gigantedness or whatever you'd say it's just huge and uh there weren't as many people as we usually see which made us feel a little safer so yeah yeah well that, that's probably good if you're people traveling mm-hmm. uh so tim slover what uh, how, of course plays theater imagine the the covid has affected what you're doing yeah, I certainly had a couple of things canceled, a couple of readings and, and plays canceled. Um, but on the other hand, um, I worked on my clarinet technique. No, I just kept writing, <laughs> just kept, stayed in my cave and uh, and worked on a couple of scripts. Um, and I, I was able to teach one of my classes in person. We all looked like bank robbers, but it worked out. Yeah. Well, Tim, if you really want to pick up the clarinet, I guess you could. Uh, Eric <laughs> might provide a virtual course for you. So. Uh, we could do that—a Skype lesson. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So horrible. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, uh, gentlemen, Lightwood Duo, uh, let, let's jump in. What What are we going to hear first? Uh, we're going to play "Flu Christmas." Well, actually, this is "Blue Christmas," but we <laughs> figured this year maybe "Flu Christmas" would be appropriate. But uh, if you uh, Think about the words, it does fit for a, a flu Christmas as well. Flu 
Gentlemen, that was beautiful. A flu Christmas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Without you. Without you. A flu Christmas without you. <laughs> that was wonderful. Uh, yeah, you, you guys get creative. <laughs> well, yeah. Got to stay yeah. sane. Got to stay sane. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, Tim Slover, what, uh, what's the first reading for us? Well, here are two morsels about Christmas food and drink, one from the 19th century, one from the 18th century. Mincemeat pie is not what you think it is. Uh, if what you've had is a kind of slightly spicy fruit-filled pastry, uh, here's a list of the ingredients to make the real thing. If you were court chef Alexis Sawyer and you were making mincemeat in 1861 for everybody at Windsor Castle. So Windsor Castle mincemeat. 240 pounds raisins, 400 pounds currants, 200 pounds lump sugar, 3 pounds cinnamon, 3 pounds nutmeg, 3 pounds cloves, 3 pounds ground allspice, 2 pounds ginger, 300 pounds beef, 350 pounds suet. Now, suet is the kind of hard fat around the loins and kidneys of of beef or mutton. It's a sort of a cousin to lard. So 350 pounds of that. 24 bushels of apples, 240 lemons, 30 pounds cedrat. That's also called citron, sort of a cousin to limes and, and lemons, a little less acidic. 72 bottles of brandy, 3 pounds mace, 60 pounds orange peel, 60 pounds lemon peel. Chef Sawyer always made his mincemeat one month before it was meant to be served and often saved some to be eaten the next year when winter came. So that's the real deal, mincemeat. Now, uh, from the 18th century, Joseph Banks, he was the great botanist who sailed with Captain Cook on the Endeavor uh, in the Around the World expedition that Cook launched. By December of 1769, the expedition was off the coast of Cape Maria Van Diemen, which is just north of Australia, in midsummer, of course, since they were in the Southern Hemisphere, and he was looking for Christmas dinner. Banks was 24 years old at this time. Here are Banks's Christmas time journal entries for those days. Australia, 1769, 24th December. Land in sight, an island, or rather several small ones. Calm most of the day. Myself in a boat, shooting, in which I had good success killing chiefly several gannets or solan geese, so like European ones that they're hardly distinguishable from them. As it was the humor of the ship to keep Christmas in the old-fashioned way, it was resolved of them to make a goose pie for tomorrow's dinner. 25th December, Christmas Day. Our goose pie was et with great approbation, and in the evening all hands were as drunk as our forefathers used to be upon like occasion. 26th December, Boxing Day. Wind has been easterly these three or four days, so we have not got it all nearer the island than we were. This morn, all heads ached with yesterday's debauch. <laughs> That's wonderful. Those are off the beaten track. Where do, where do you find these things? I, I look all year waiting yeah. for this show. Oh, oh, we appreciate that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, it's making my mouth water here. And those are large portions. They are very on the, large on the, portions. On that recipe. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Tim Slover. Uh, by the way, uh, we're, we're going to run Christmas Chronicles again uh, starting next week, 7 p.m. Uh, join us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on Christmas Day as well. Uh, do, do, you, do you get feedback still, Tim Slover, about Christmas Chronicles? I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, a place where I did some mailing yesterday, um, the guy that I've known for years uh, listened uh, to it uh, just recently and said, is that you? And um, so I had a, a moment of fame at Mail Plus. Yeah, yeah that's good. <laughs> that's good, especially this year. Uh, so uh, Mike Christiansen, uh, Eric Nelson, uh, I'm curious, of course, you're musicians, you play music. Do you, do you have special music you listen to this time of year? Um, a little bit of everything. Uh, we're pretty eclectic duo. <laughs> We've uh, got quite a variety of uh, tastes. So, of course, Christmas music, uh, and we're always on the we're always on the lookout for some uh, new material that we can add into our repertoire every year. Um, we try to expand uh, even our Christmas repertoire some, but uh, a little bit of of everything. I was. Uh, 
talking to a person the other day, and they said, well, Mike, after you play a job and you've played music for four hours during the night, what kind of stuff do you listen to when you're driving home? And I said, I listen to talk radio. Yeah, uh, that's it, me too. Yeah. <laughs> KUSU. Yeah, it's, a, Go, it's, been, well, it's been a lot of notes already. So Yeah, yeah I, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, I, I was expecting you to go in the other direction. I was going to be surprised, but I, uh, but uh, yeah, if you've been playing music for four hours, maybe you want to listen to some talk. Yeah, it's kind of or the listen to the police scanner or <laughs> just something, any, anything else, anything something else. different. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, gentlemen, what do we hear next? Uh, let's see, Tom. This is a this is a really nice uh, Christmas tune written by Joni Mitchell. It's a tune called River. <laughs> That's uh, it's beautiful. Tim Slover is clapping in the in the studio. I have line of sight to him, <laughs> um, as I'm sure others are doing. Uh, gentlemen, that was beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's a great tune. Yeah, I, I haven't been familiar with that oh, with that yeah. with that piece. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get played much during the year around Christmas time. Uh, the first of the lyrics where it says it's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees. They're putting up reindeer and sings and song singing songs of joy and peace. So I wish I had a river that I could skate away on. Uh, it's a yeah. it's a very tender tune. Yeah, it really is. I haven't associated with Christmas, but I guess the, 
some of the lyrics yep uh, put it there yeah that's that's beautiful thank you gentlemen uh, if you just joined us, we're uh, this is the Access Utah Holiday Special, a yearly tradition, and we have with us uh, once again uh, the Lightwood Duo, which is uh, guitarist Mike Christiansen, clarinetist Eric Nelson, and we have uh, playwright uh, Tim Slover with us. Uh, Tim Slover teaches at the University of Utah. Author, uh, I think, uh, connect you, uh, uh, UPR audience, author of the Christmas Chronicles, uh, which we, we that's another tradition we have here. Uh, so, uh, Tim Slover, what what's next? Next is a, a piece from um, a Western poet and novelist. His name is Joe Henry. Uh, he's also a lyricist, actually. He wrote uh, a lot of lyrics for uh, 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 singer-songwriters like John Denver. Um, he comes from Woody Creek, Colorado, and uh, he also was a rancher and a laborer there. Uh, he and John Denver, Denver used to call Joe Henry his brother, uh, created, they used to create these Christmas gatherings in a barn I did it for several years. In this excerpt from Henry's novel, Lime Creek, set in Wyoming, he imagines one of those gatherings, seen through the eyes of a young boy named Luke, although looking back from uh, an adult memory of that. Now, Luke, who's about nine years old, is there with his younger brother, Whitney, who's about eight, and his older brother, Lonnie, and his mother and father. The trick here is that he refers, even though he's a little boy in the piece, he refers to his mother and father by their first name. So his mother's name is Elizabeth, his father's name is Spencer. And the two younger brothers are inspired to try an experiment on an old, old tradition that on Christmas Eve, animals are given the gift of speech. So this is an excerpt from the great prose poet, Joe Henry, in his novel, Lime Creek. And then it would be dark, and we'd finally leave the house to go down to the barn, and the sky behind the high country would just barely yet hold the very last of the light, so that if you didn't think to watch it, you'd miss it the day's end. There'd be four or five pickup trucks parked below the barn, and my remembrance is always of a crystal clear, moonless night with the temperature already below zero, and the snow crunching so loud under our boots that you could even hear the whisper and the steps of other people as they walked up from their vehicles. And the stars by then, the stars seemed so big in the sky, you'd think you could almost hear them too, like the burning of distant torches if you were to stop and really listen. There was this one huge one in the east in the winter that shone with different colors, and it stayed there all through the cold. Whitney and I assumed it to be the same star that all the Christmas stories talked about, but Lonnie told us sometime later that it was in the constellation of the dog, and we liked knowing that because our lives down here on the ground were so intertwined with animals that it only seemed natural for the stars to have a similar frame of reference, too. You could hear John Farrow's guitar from inside the barn when you were still a little ways off, Bradley Farrow's Uncle John, who everyone called John Farrow, as if his two names, first and last, were really one name put together. The sound of the guitar and the delicate clarity of the newborn night made everybody quiet as we approached. The loveliness of it so achingly simple and pure from out of the whelming darkness, like an earth-bred accompaniment to a universe cut from glass. With the crunching snow, that simple human refade on this side of the cold and the stars so familiar and yet so distant on the other side. Whitney and I and Lonnie would all have fallen into that hush as we walked, and Elizabeth would squeeze my hand in my mittens without saying anything, and I could see her face in my mind without having to look up at her. We'd all be still as we entered the barn, as if it were really a church of some kind, and as I remember how it always made me feel, I really can't imagine any difference. In the far corner where the mall, where the wall met the first stall was where Spencer would have set up the tree that late the day before he and Lonnie had cut and drugged down from somewhere off the high ridge that looks over the lower part of the ranch. And I remember the candles. The whole tree seemed full of lit candles, so many of them that their light seemed to push back the darkness when we'd come into the barn from out of the hard, cold, black night. And the shocking, pristine vision of that candlelight would be like a miracle to me when I'd first see it. And then I'd see that amongst all the candles were hung apples and carrots and other fruits and vegetables, wherever the broad boughs of the tree would support them. Hay bales would be positioned on the earthen floor for places to sit in front of the tree, and also to separate the two or three horses, all groomed and with a tiny red or green knot of ribbon tied in their forelocks, who were free to walk about on the other side where Spencer had placed hay and grain for them to eat. 
Several yearling calves would be settled in two of the stalls, and a number of weanling lambs that Spencer had trucked over from Ollie Wheeler's early that morning in the other two. John Farrow would be sitting on one of the bales and playing and humming along as he picked at the strings of his instrument with those gloves that leave the fingertips exposed. We thought he'd cut off the ends of his gloves so he'd be able to play his guitar in the cold, and I remember thinking about cutting the ends of my mittens too, but seemed to forget before actually getting it done. There'd be plates of cookies and pitchers of juice for the kids and eggnog for the folks and glasses arranged on trays that were set on top of three bales that were piled one on the other against the near wall. John Farrow would be singing softly at first so that we hadn't really been paying that much attention until one of the grown-ups would join in as their kids seemed to gravitate back up against them with their young, wild voices catching a word here and there and making up others as their folks sang along. Then Spencer would take out his spectacles and set them low on his nose and sit in front of the tree so that its light fell onto the children's book that he held with both hands and always read from about the baby and the animals and how the animals were all given human speech on this one night. And as I listened, I remembered that I planned to get up later so I could get dressed and get my boots on and come back down to the barn to hear what each of the horses and dogs and cats and the cattle and sheep would sound like when they spoke actual words, wondering what they would say to each other, but especially what they would say to me when I spoke to them. And Whitney looks at me from the corner of his eye, so I know he's thinking the same thing. But we wake up much later than we should have. And Whitney's already dressing himself as I rush to catch up to him. And he whispers fiercely, Pa said they do it at midnight. And as I'm trying to get my flannel nightshirt tucked into my jeans, I say, Maybe they're still doing it because it's still dark outside. And then we bump and shush each other down the stairs as we hold on to the railing. The cold freezes the inside of my nose. It's so cold. And I breathe into the collar of my jacket. The stars are like little white holes all across the black sky and Sirius, all a glimmer with red and blue and white light, too, hangs just above the roof of the barn as we slide the door open just enough to squeeze through and then close it behind us. But we're too late. Lemon, our dog, comes up to me in the dark and noses into my fingers, but he doesn't say anything, even when I rub his head against my chest and say, Hi, Lemon. Hi, Lemon. And I know his mouth smiles when I scratch his ears, but he still doesn't speak, at least not with words anyway. I turn the light on in the tack room and leave the door open so the light spreads out across the dark runway. And then I hear Whitney, over by Blue the horse's stall, standing on a hay bale and speaking softly to him with Blue's head lifted and his legs folded under him and his gentle eyes blinking against our intrusion. Hi, Blue. Whitney says, Hi, Blue. And I climbed up behind him and watched the horse's face as he continues to blink into wakefulness with his lovely pale eyelashes. We can hear other animals in their stalls, restive in the darkness and groaning with sleep, and one of them drinking while another one whinnies softly as if to itself, instantly reminding me then, in memory as well as now, how I've loved the voice of horses for my entire life. It's too late, I whisper to Whitney, shaking my head. We got here too late. And Whitney whispers back, I know, but next year we have to remember. And I whisper back to him, Yes, we have to remember next year. Beautiful. Tim Slover. Tell us again the the author and title. Joe Henry from his novel Lime Creek. Yeah, you, you can picture the two boys, so you're going to remember next year. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. <clears throat> well, uh, uh, Lightwood Duo, uh, perhaps another number, and then we'll go to a brief break. What, uh, what do we hear next? Sure. This is a tune uh, made popular by that great Christmas uh, performer, Alvin. Alvin. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this was actually made popular by the, by the Chipmunks, and uh, this is Christmas Don't Be Late. But we're going to try to warm things up a little bit, and we're going to give it a bit of a Brazilian twist. We're going to do kind of a samba version of Christmas Don't Be Late. (laughs) 
Very beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, made famous Thank by the you. chipmunks. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. If you just joined us, you're listening to the Axis Utah Holiday Special, yearly tradition. We bring in the Lightwood Duo and Tim Slover. Lightwood Duo is uh, Mike Christiansen on guitarist and uh, Eric Nelson on uh, clarinet. And Tim Slover is a playwright, so teaches at uh, University of Utah. And uh, we're going to take a brief break now. We'll be back with more great music and readings for the season. Holiday programming on UPR is made possible in part by AARP of Utah, working to prevent scammers from taking advantage during the holiday season and beyond. Information available at aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork to find both national and local information to help empower family and friends in the fight against scams and fraud. This is Corey Evans. It's a Cache Valley tradition, Winter Songs, the annual concerts performed by the combined choirs of the USU Music Department. This year, we're featuring a virtual Winter Songs production and highlighting the USU Chamber Singers' new Christmas album, Noel. I hope you'll join us Thursday evening at 8 o'clock on Utah Public Radio. Hi, this is Ari Shapiro from All Things Considered, and you are about to discover my secret identity. When I'm not reporting for NPR, I tour and record with a band called Pink Martini. For the holidays, I will be both host and performer in a concert called Pink Martini, Joy to the World, a multicultural holiday spectacular. Coming here from NPR Music. Tune in Thursday, December 17th at 9 p.m. here on Utah Public Radio. Playing us in the second half, Lightwood Duo. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Lightwood Duo is uh, Mike Christiancio on guitar and Eric Nelson uh, on uh, clarinet. And we have Tim Slover, a player Tim Slover with readings for the season as well. It's the Axis Utah Holiday Special, and we're very glad that, uh, that you're with us. Gentlemen, before we jump into some more music and readings, uh, let's start with Mike Christiansen. Uh, yeah. Holiday traditions, same this year, or there will be changes due to the pandemic? Uh, the changes will be the number of people <laughs> that that yeah. do it. Our uh, uh, my wife and I will be alone. Our children are, won't be coming this year, and uh, we're going to miss all of them. We might do a we might do a Zoom Christmas um, and uh, and share some time with them. But uh, we're uh, very Danish, and like I've I've said before, we have a, a lot of traditions. Uh, maybe just to to mention a few of them. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we have a special Christmas dinner, and uh, tonight I think it'll, or this Christmas, maybe it'll be uh, uh, turkey TV dinners, but <laughs> no, I don't, <laughs> I think my wife has something planned more than that. <laughs> but uh, we're going to be doing a Christmas dinner, and then uh, at that dinner, we have an ornament there for everyone in the family, and that ornament is representative of something that happened to you. Uh, this year. So you can imagine the number of COVID ornaments that there will be around the table this right. year. Right. So uh, we do that, and then everyone uh, after the dinner or opens their ornament and sees the ornament that is representative of, of their year. And then we have a Danish pudding after the meal, and in that pudding is uh, buried a nut. And the person that gets the nut in the rice pudding has good luck for the entire year. They get a gift and they have good luck. And I'm kind of excited because this year I think I have a 50-50 chance of getting the, getting the nut. <laughs> That's so, right. And then we have other yeah. traditions that we do as well. But those are some that we look forward to. Oh, wonderful. Eric Nelson, what about you? It, it changes to your traditions? Oh, yeah, just the, about the same as Mike. You know, it will just be the two of us there. All of our kids live long distances away and in fact our one and only granddaughter was born this year oh congratulations on, on march 19th in sweden uh, in sweden wow so uh she thinks grandma and grandpa are a computer screen <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had it i mean it happened just as as the the <laughs> pandemic shutdown started we had to cancel travel plans and we're looking forward to seeing them and making the cross-country trips to see the other kids as soon as 
as this uh, madness is over. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tim Slover, what about you? It changes to your traditions? Well, some. I mean, we usually throw a big, a big Advent bash, which we, of course, didn't do this year. But uh, we sort of had um, selected inner bubble uh, Advent Sundays. We've been doing those with just a couple of neighbors or, or family members. We do have family uh, coming. Um, our great son, uh, Tim. Uh, we'll be coming down from Salt Lake, and our other great son and daughter-in-law uh, will be coming from Santa Fe, New Mexico. I think I'm the most tested adult male in Utah Valley mm-hmm. for COVID. Um, I, that, it, they, I feel like those swabs go farther up your nose every time. <laughs> and um, uh, so we're, um, we're doing all of that, um, but we'll, we'll, just, we'll try to have a regular Christmas. Yeah, well, that, that'll be great. That'll be wonderful. I'm glad for, for all of you. And uh, hope uh, you know everyone has a has a safe and uh, and merry Christmas. Uh, so uh, Lightwood Duo, what what do we hear next? Um, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm not going to be the clarinet player on this one. We're going to do an Irish Christmas. So I'll be playing this little penny whistle. It has a brass tube and six holes. And we'll be doing. I saw three ships and the great Bing Crosby song, Christmas in Killarney. Beautiful gentleman. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear kind of a, a different instrument there, Eric. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, wonderful. Uh, so, Tim Slover, what's next? Well, Tom, listeners to this program over the last couple of years may recall hearing the 12 reviews of Christmas and the 12 last-minute gifts of Christmas. But this year, I'm sorry to say, I have to present something much more serious. At first, you don't acknowledge that anything unusual is happening. You discover your loved one decorating a reindeer-shaped sugar cookie. Well, he's well known for having a sweet tooth and being fascinated by northern ruminants, so no alarm bells go off. Another loved one seems to know all George Bailey's lines from It's a Wonderful Life. No reason to be concerned, you think. She's always been a Jimmy Stewart fan, and so you let it go and don't say anything even when she insists every time the microwave dings at the end of a cycle that an angel is getting his wings. But let me share some stark statistics with you that I hope will alert you to the seriousness of this crisis. 27% of people who keep eggnog in their refrigerators have a problem, a figure that rises to 36% if it's a gallon carton. 13% of people, not an insignificant amount, who know more than the first two verses of the first Noel suffer similarly. And 42% of people who can manage to spend more than eight minutes in a Hallmark store in December are likewise afflicted. 
To what am I referring, you ask? Don't turn away and don't ignore the facts. Christmas addiction is real, and someone close to you may be suffering under the crushing weight of its cheerfulness right now. Learn the signs of this insidious addiction before your loved ones are irretrievably lost to merriment, because though they will not admit they have a problem and actually seem unaccountably jollier than usual, don't be deceived. See all of that lightheartedness and benevolence toward their fellow men for what it is. That call for another verse of Jingle Bells is really a soul in yuletide torment crying out for help. Before it's too late, learn to recognize these 12 dangerous signs of Christmas addiction. (laughs) Number one, listening to Christmas music in a month other than December. The addict is far gone if listening in July, and if they are humming along instigate an immediate intervention. Number two, talking openly about fruitcake as an edible food substance. Number three, wondering aloud why in heaven's name malls and other retail establishments wait so darn long to get their Christmas decorations up. Number four, knowing the names of all of Santa's eight tiny reindeer and their biographies, genealogies, favorite restaurants, and social security numbers. Number five, attempting to cover up with smoking or chewing habanero chilies that telltale peppermint smell from eating candy canes that seems to always taint their breath. And find a reason to examine their fingers. Sticky? That confirms it. They're cane heads. Look at their cell phone logs is number six. How many calls to the North Pole? Even one is reason to be concerned, particularly if, when caught, the attic mumbles something about knowing an emperor penguin up there. Number seven, exhibiting a compulsive desire to wrap things in festive paper or foil. Accompanying this compulsion is often the bizarre and irrational tendency to send cheery cards, often etched with troubling religious iconography or chilling winter scenes with totemic evergreen trees, to friends and relations either too geographically close for it to be necessary or else too far away to see on a regular basis, as though the addict has forgotten about Twitter and texting. Number eight. A complete breakdown of the moral or ethical faculty. This one's disgusting, but don't turn away from the truth. The addict displays the frenzied sexual impulse to kiss lightly known acquaintances lingering inadvertently under suspended mistletoe, or else the sick urge to spend extravagantly on household on thoughtful gifts and give completely unwarranted monetary bonuses to employees or those in the service sector. In this way, even underage babysitters are sometimes tragically ensnared. Number nine, grinning. Lots of grinning and chuckling. Number 10, lying shamelessly, even gleefully, about their secretive activities after Thanksgiving, during which dangerous season they also hide and hoard objects, which they claim are gifts for you in places they think you won't look. Be relieved if after careful and concerned ransacking you discover only alcohol or adult entertainment. Call in professional help for your loved one if you find instead actual gifts thoughtfully chosen and what you've always wanted. These indicate an addiction far advanced. Number 11, a shocking tendency to forgive people of old grudges, present wrongs, and petty foibles. The addict this far gone has also lost completely the ability to hold a healthy grudge. And number 12, mind numbed by hearing the 12 days of Christmas rendered endlessly by cultish choirs and or brainwashed instrumentalists, the addict impulsively and helplessly reduces everything to lists of 12 items. Well, there you have it. Those are the 12 telltale signs of Christmas addiction. If your loved one displays even one of the tendencies on this list, you should be concerned and consider taking action to break what therapists are calling the ho-ho-ho disorder. But be advised that you must proceed with extreme caution. Christmas addiction is highly contagious, and you must don a full hazmat suit, or at least a deprecating smile, when approaching the addict. Otherwise, who knows what might happen? Well, Santa knows, of course. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas.
very good. <laughs> yeah, we might all fit there. Who knows? Although I, I think I don't, uh, I don't fit in the category of uh, classifying fruitcake as a, as a, as a food source. You're still a healthy still, man. Still, still a healthy man, at least in that, in that case. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Uh, Lightwood Duo, what do we hear next? Um, maybe another sign of uh, Christmas addiction is, would be if you watch a Charlie Bound Christmas in July. Um, but uh, <laughs> but this is a great time of year to watch that. And uh, this uh, piece of music comes from a Charlie Bound Christmas. This is uh, Christmas Time is Here and also another tune penned by the same composer that did Christmas Time is Here. Uh, um, a tune called Skating. That's beautiful. That's uh, that's familiar to us because I think we've we've watched often the Charlie Brown special, right? Yeah, right. Uh, which is which is great, as you mentioned in July or this time of year. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, if you just joined us, that's the Lightwood Duo: Mike Christiansen on uh, guitar and uh, Eric Nelson on uh, clarinet and uh, Penny Whistle, um, and uh, Tim Slover, playwright, doing readings for the season. So, Tim, what's what's next? Uh, I think just two really short poems. Um, uh, a, a silly one and a serious one. Um, the, the, the silly one's called The Wicked Singers. Uh, now, our tradition of Christmas caroling, uh, we don't, when we go out Christmas caroling, if we do it, we're not asking for money. But in, um, in England and in other countries, that's not the case. They bring a box with them, and uh, they usually are caroling for a specific charitable cause. Um, so prolific light verse poet Kit Wright has written a piece in which that plan to collect money has gone awry. The wicked singers. And have you been out carol singing, collecting for the old folks' dinner? Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. And did you sing all the Christmas numbers, every one a winner? Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. Good King Wenceslas and Hark the Herald Angels Sing? 
Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. And did you sing them loud and clear and make the night sky ring? Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. And did you count up all the money? Was it quite a lot? Oh, yes, indeed. Oh, yes, indeed. And did you give it all to the vicar, everything you'd got? Certainly not. Certainly not. And the more serious poem, called Mary's Song, is by the great Cornish poet, Charles Cosley. Seems like a good way to, to end this part. Mary's Song. Your royal bed is made of hay in a cattle shed. Sleep, King Jesus, do not fear. Joseph is watching and waiting near. Warm in the country, in the wintry air you lie, the ox and the donkey standing by with summer eyes. They seem to say, Welcome, Jesus, on Christmas Day. Sleep, King Jesus, your diamond crown high in the sky where the stars look down. Let your reign of love begin that all the world may enter in. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, tell us again the, the authors of those. Uh, Kit Wright wrote The Wicked Singers, and I hope he's very sorry for having done so. <laughs> uh, and Charles Cosley, who's a fascinating Cornish playwright, wrote Mary's Song. Okay, wonderful. Uh, well, I will do. What, uh, what do we hear next? I'm going to play a medley of uh, Silent Night and Have Yourself a Merry Christmas. Um, as you probably know, I think everybody knows that Silent Night was originally written on the guitar. Uh, and Joseph Moore played it. Uh, Moore played it on the guitar, and uh, the melody was written by Franz Gruber. And uh, the melody has lasted all these years. And I think one of the reasons it's lasted is because of its simplicity. It's a very simple little melody with some simple chords. And I'm going to play kind of a simple version, probably very similar to the way the first Silent Night was written. And then I'll embellish it a little bit, and then. We'll go in to have yourself.
Oh, it's a very beautiful gentleman. Thank you. Uh, silent night. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Lightwood duo there. Thanks. Well, Tim Silver, do you have something really short, a minute-ish? I do. Uh, in the middle of the uh, 17th century in England, it was actually illegal to celebrate Christmas. There was a very strict regime. Uh, the king had been executed, and the other one, Charles Stewart, was in exile, his son. And uh, the uh, uh, diarist, John Evelyn, records his defiance of the ban. This is Christmas Day, 1657, from his journal. I went with my wife to celebrate Christmas Day at Exeter Chapel. As we were about to receive the Holy Sacrament, the chapel was surrounded with soldiers and all the communicants and assembly surprised and kept prisoners by them. When I came before them, they took my name and abode, examined me why, contrary to an ordinance made, that none should any longer observe the superstitious time of the nativity, so esteemed by them, I durst defend and particularly pray for Charles Stuart, for which we had no scripture. I told them we did not pray for Charles Stuart, but for all Christian kings, princes, and governors. They replied, in so doing, we prayed for the king of Spain, too, who was their enemy and a papist with other frivolous and ensnaring questions and much threatening. And finding no color to detain me, they dismissed me with much pity of my ignorance. So I got home the next day. Blessed be God. <laughs> when Christmas was banned. There you Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Well, we reached the end of our, uh, our time together. This is uh, always uh, one of my favorite uh, programs of the year, our Access Utah Holiday Special. And we've had with us uh, in studio uh, the Lightwood Duo, Mike Christiansen on guitar. Mike, uh, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us again, Tom. Merry Christmas to everyone. Merry Christmas, yes. And uh, Eric Nelson, thank you. Thank you, and the happiest of holidays. Thank you. And Tim Slover, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone. Our our, uh, special thanks to our chief engineer, Fred Weller, for making everything sound good. Our producer, Emily Colby. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Lightwood Duo, could you play us out with just something uh, short? Holiday programming on UPR is made possible by Intermountain Healthcare. Help keep the holidays safe from the virus by wearing a mask. And please remember it's equally important to stay home when sick as to not spread any illnesses. Take back control. Information at intermountain.com slash COVID-19. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanity and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org. Thank you.